Okay. So, this is Monday. Did I tell you a week from today we have a final? What? A final? Right? Remember, it's just the last third of the course. It's just a regular old test. Doesn't have any more multiple choice questions on it. There's not going to be like 300 multiple choice questions. It's going to be regular old 25 multiple choice questions. Regular old everybody has to answer two and then best three out of five. A little bit of uh, extra credit, I guess. Yeah, a little bit of extra credit. So all the lectures now should be up to date on Blackboard and on iTunes. All right, so everything is there. All the Camtasias and all the MP3 files are going to be there. So today's should be on both of those places by sometime this afternoon. And then Wednesday's will be on both of those places by Wednesday afternoon. Right, so everything you need, you're going to have. Right, I would. So week from today, and it's going to, what time is it, 11.30? 11 o'clock, something like that. It's on Blackboard. I forgot what it was. It's, you can find it on Wiser. It's going to be right in this building, right in, in this building. Yeah, it's going to be right in this room. And again, it's the last third. It's not cumulative. It's just another test, just the third test. So when we left on Friday, we were talking about sort of common uh, infectious diseases. We had made it through viruses. We had made it through bacteria. And we were just going to start. Oh, and we also made it through protozoans, right, in terms of parasitic diseases. And we were going to just start with worms. Right? We don't think so much about worms, but worms, things of, right, helmets, primitive worms are parasites and major infectious diseases. Our response to worms, right, is going to be Based, upon, based upon the fact that there are relatively few organisms present, right? there aren't that many of them, so the immune system is not strongly engaged, right? so we do have to get some sort of recognition taking place. And it's really not sufficient to eliminate adult worms. There are some worms that could live in the intestine that can live undisturbed for years and years and years, and you might not even know about them. There are other worms that you'll know right away, right? You'll know right away that you're, uh, that you're going to be uh, infected with them. The IgE response is most prevalent. This is another sort of a uh, hypothesis to why IgE is here, that IgE is here to deal with worms. Right? And in terms of having an allergic reaction, that's just something, some cross-reactive thing that's taking place. But it's going to be IgE and eosinophils, right, that are going to be part of the, of the cellular response. And we're going to look at I, ADCC, right, those same cytotoxic activities that we've looked at before. So a stereotypical sort of tropical immune disease is schistosomiasis. And schistomasomai mansoni is the organism itself, is the worm. It involves an intermediate vector, and that intermediate vector, besides us, are snails. So they're the intermediate host. So freshwater snails are going to be able to house the developing sort of larvae of the worm itself. And the infection is going to be by these free-swimming uh, snail larvae themselves. So if you're out into a stream, 
and you're looking for water or you're walking through the stream or maybe you're doing your wash in the stream or the river, right? These worms themselves, these larval forms are going to be able to tunnel in through the skin after right, they are sort of developing inside their intermediate host, burrow in through the skin, make their way into the organs of the body itself, and then during defecation, we're going to be able to release those sperm and those eggs of, or the developing eggs themselves of that parasite, and we're going to be able to start the whole life cycle all over again, because by that time, right, these individuals have to make their way into the snail itself so they can come back and infect humans right. the way. So the worm's going to mate and the eggs are going to be released in urine or from, or from uh, feces to infect more snails. And the damage itself is by the host response to the eggs. Okay. Not so much by the, by the parasite itself. It's going to be the immune response to the eggs. We're going to get granuloma formations. And those granulomas, remember, they were sort of like the, the, the tubercles we looked at when we were looking at, le at uh, mycobacteria leprosy. Uh, no, not, we weren't looking at leprosy, we were looking at uh, tuberculosis, right? So the same sort of idea, these granulomas, these walling off. We're going to try to wall off the eggs, we're going to try to wall them off if we can't destroy them. So these granulomas are going to be able to be formed. They're going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. They're going to obstruct blood flow in the liver or the bladder or in the spleen. Right? So all these different areas are going to be, in, uh, be affected by the parasite itself. The other part about the parasites, when they are free living and they are in the bloodstream or wherever they've taken up residence inside the body, if the immune system comes along and IgE binds onto the outer surface of the worm, and then some eosinophils come along, and if the worm becomes disturbed, because right, the eosinophils are there trying to destroy the worm, the worm just swims away, right, like any of us would. Right? If there are some sort of mosquitoes around and they are getting in our way, we can just walk away from those mosquitoes. Right? So the worms are intelligent intelligent enough, right, that if they are under stress, they can just swim to a new place. And if they swim to a new place, it means eosinophils have to find them again, right? So all those different things are going to take place. So that's why a lot of times these worms are, are long-lived themselves. So once the worm gets inside and the immune system starts to recognize it, right, so the eosinophils are going to be there. Clearly, we're going to make antibodies to the worm itself. Right, they're probably going to be IgE, macrophages can be involved, all sorts of ADC-dependent mechanisms are going to be able to take place, not just the eosinophils, right, but neutrophils are going to be able to bind, and macrophages, and that's how we're going to try to destroy the worm. But again, most of the, of the damage is going to come by the release of mediators from the cells themselves. So that's where most of the tissue damage is going to be able to come from. Okay, so those are worms. And then we started to say that the, the last of the four types of infectious organisms were fungi. Right? The fungi themselves are very easy to uh, be detected and destroyed by the immune system. So most of the times they're going to be cleared by phagocytosis, complement activation, both by the alternative and the lectin pathway is equally as effective, right? Because it's easy to detect those lectins on the surface of the fungi itself. And in human medicine, 
these sort of fungal diseases are easily and usually treated by antibiotics themselves. There are about a million different species of fungi who have, that have been described, and a large proportion of them, over 400 of them, are able to infect humans themselves. And most are going to be detected and destroyed rapidly with very few clinical symptoms. Some of these different fungi could turn into opportunistic infections, infections in immunocompromised individuals, but for an individual with a normal functioning immune system, they don't present that much of a, of a problem for the immune system to be able to recognize and destroy them. We're going to classify different fungi based on right, things like site of infection, or the route of acquisition, or the virulence themselves. Right? So we have all these different ways in which fungi are going to be able to enter the body and be detected and eliminated by the immune system itself. All right. So that's where we should have been on Friday. And today, whoops, we were going to start talking about cancer immunology, or the ability of the immune system to be able to recognize and respond to tumors, right? To recognize transformed cells. So, throughout the entire sort of semester, we've been talking about right, the way in which the immune system is going to recognize self from non-self. Right? And that's pretty easy. So, if a fungi comes in, pretty easy to recognize a fungus as being non-self. If a bacteria comes in, it's kind of easy to recognize a bacteria as being non-self. When it gets down to tumor immunology and the ability to recognize a cancer cell, now it's going to be a little bit of a finer delineation. Now we're going to have to recognize self from altered self. It's a little bit harder to be able to do. If I gave everybody in here a camera, and I told everybody to just find the difference between self and non-self, that's pretty easy. You take the camera, take a picture of a table, that's not so much self. Take a picture of your dog or your cat or a tree or a rock. Right? Those are pretty easy sort of things to get a good feeling for. Right? What is so different from me? If, on the other hand, you had to take that camera and then you had to be able to take a picture of yourself or your altered self, it gets a little bit more, more interesting. Maybe you'd have to go home and dye your hair a different color. That's kind of altered self. Or maybe you could go back and get a tattoo or something, right? That would be uh, a self from an altered self. But that would be a little bit harder to be able to show. If you went into the mirror and took a picture, that's still yourself, and it's not your altered self. So the delineation between self and altered self is a very fine line. Right? The immune system can do it, but clearly, because we know individuals who are dying of cancer every day, right, it's, a, it's a harder job to be able to do. If we start looking at the response of the immune system, we've got to get a little bit of terminology going, right, in terms of the terminology of cancer itself. 
So we all hear about a tumor or a neoplasm, right? A new arising. Clones of malignant cells that can expand to considerable size. So a malignant cell or a transformed cell. A lot of money, a lot of effort has gone into looking at transformed cells, right? When President Nixon was running the country, he, de he declared a war on cancer. That war is still going on. That's how hard it is to be able to eliminate self from altered self, right? Because remember, that tumor cell is an altered self cell. Going into a lot of cell biology to look at what goes into turning a normal cell into a transformed cell. It's really nothing di much different about a normal cell and a tumor cell. Except, a tumor cell doesn't know when to turn off. Normal cell is going to get some sort of a signal that, oh, oh, there's a signal, is going to get, <laughs> right on time, is going to get some sort of a signal, and that signal is going to direct the cell, it's time to divide. The cell is going to divide, and it's going to stop, and it's going to wait for that signal again. When the signal comes again, the cell is going to get that signal, it's going to divide, and it's going to stop. A transformed cell, on the other hand, through whatever sort of mutation or whatever sort of damage is taking place, a transformed cell or a cell that's going to be tumorigenic gets a signal from wherever it gets a signal from and it never stops dividing. There's a go signal, there's not a stop signal. So that tumor cell or that cell that has transformed, because remember it's all going to start from an individual cell, so that individual cell is going to divide, it's not going to stop. It's going to divide, it's not going to stop. And it's going to divide, and it's going to divide, and it's going to divide, and it's going to keep dividing and keep dividing, and those daughter cells are going to keep dividing, because whatever the defect is, it carries on with those dividing cells, and that tumor cell just, or that tumor, yeah, that tumor cell turns into, right, all sorts of daughter cells, and it, and it then gets bigger and bigger. So those clones of that malignant cell expand to considerable size. A tumor is said to be benign, right? If, it's, if it is not capable of indefinite growth and does not invade surrounding healthy tissues. Right? So it, a cell can transform, and if it divides and divides, and it stays in its own environment, if it doesn't cross the connective tissue, if it doesn't break away from where it is normally in residence, it is said to be a benign tumor. A tumor that breaks away and does not stay in its area is said to be a malignant tumor, a tumor that continues to grow and becomes progressively invasive. Right? It breaks away from where it is in residence, and it keeps dividing and dividing and dividing, and it breaks across basement membranes, and it'll break out in the area from where it is in residence. And a cancer refers specifically to a malignant tumor itself. And a malignant tumor may develop a metastasis, and a metastasis is a transfer of tumor cells from the primary tumor to any one of the secondary sites. Certain tumors, certain cancers have certain areas where they metastasize to. A lot of times it's the lymph nodes, a lot of times it's, it's the liver, and sometimes it's the brain. 
a lot of research going into why certain cells, once they become malignant, are honed into different sort of areas. So, if we're looking at sort of this normal cross-section of tissue, right? here if we're looking at some sort of cell in residence, this cell, for whatever the reason, transforms. So it's going to be able to start to grow. So this cell is going to divide and divide and divide and divide again. If this cell divides right, and doesn't break through, for instance, the basal lamina, and it stays in the area, it is said to be a benign tumor. Once it starts to break through and it makes its way through the basal lamina and enters other areas in the tissue spaces, it is said to be an invasive tumor. And Sometimes these cells are going to be able to make their way through, right, sort of the backwards way that we've been talking about, right? We've been talking about diapodesis of immune cells out into the tissue spaces by going through those gap junctions. Here, these malignant cells are going to be able to go the other way from the tissue spaces back out into the circulatory system, and then that's where the metastases are going to be able to take from. And there's a whole bunch of information several different steps, multiple steps, have to take place so that this normal cell turns into a transformed cell. So almost every week there's going to be some sort of a, of a report, some sort of paper being published in either Nature or Science looking at what those defects are and how those defects that are going to be able to take place are going to turn a normal cell into a malignant cell. A lot of cell biology has gone into and is constantly going into right, the signals and the damage that are taking place to those normal cells to be able to transform them into right, this tumor cell. So we don't have time to go into that. We only have time to look at the ability of the immune system to be able to recognize and destroy these transformed cells. So immuno immunological surveillance is the ability of the immune system to detect tumor cells and to destroy them. It's probably going to be the same way we talked about before, in which CD8 positive T cells are able to recognize changes in MHC molecules, right? those self, non-self peptides appearing in a cell. There is evidence to suggest that tumor peptides, and we'll talk about them in a second, tumor peptides are going to appear in the MHC molecules and alert the immune system to the transformed capacity or, or, or quality of a cell that is undergoing right, this transformation. So T cell recognition or any mechanism of eradication of spontaneously arising tumors is going to be the end product of this immunological surveillance. We're going to be able to detect those tumor cells and we're going to be able to destroy those tumor cells. And the tumor cells themselves have got to be recognizable. Whatever the signal is, whatever the alert signal is, whatever that peptide in the MHC1 molecule, whatever that protein appearing on the cell surface that maybe NK cells could start to recognize and destroy, there's got to be something right, that is going to be the key sort of signal, I guess signal, to the immune system. So they, that transformed cell needs to display on its surface distinct antigens. If we can be able to start to categorize and catalog these distinct antigens, right, 
this is one of the ways in which we are using these antigens as a, a form of therapy. And we'll talk about that in a little while. In general, there are two types of tumor antigens that we know about. So these are proteins on the cell surface, or in the context of MHC molecules, that the immune system is going to be able to pick up on. So the first type are called tumor-associated transplantation antigens, okay, TATAs. They're not unique to tumors, but they're not normally expressed on adult cells, or they're expressed extremely low on a normal cell, but much higher on the tumor cell themselves. And these are the more common types of antigens. It's as if the transformed cell has undergone right, uncontrolled sort of expression of proteins on the cell surface. So when we will talk about some examples, and some of these antigens haven't appeared in the body since we were under development, since we were in utero. Some of these developmental antigens that, uh, that a, a grown-up, fully functional adult doesn't express on the surface of their cells anymore. So some of these have been candidates for tumor-associated transplantation antigens. The other type that we know about are called tumor-specific transplantation antigens, or TSTAs, and these appear only on tumors. Right? We ne we've never seen them expressed in, right, in immature cells or, or on low levels of adult cells. And they are specific for each individual tumor, and they are the ones that are responsible for tumor rejection. So these are other antigens that the immune system is going to be able to key off on and recognize to be able to start the destruction of those transformed cells themselves. In general, we have four major categories of tumor antigens themselves. So this is sort of looking more at the, at the big picture rather than those two types. So antigens encoding by genes exclusively expressed by the tumor cells themselves. So these could be either TATAs or TSTAs. Antigens encoded by, right, by variant forms of normal genes that have been altered by mutation. So some of the, of the misregulation that takes place during this normal cell transforming into a malignant cell, right, some of these genes, right, some of these variant forms can start to be expressed. Other ones are antigens normally expressed at certain stages of differentiation or only by certain differentiation lineages themselves. So these are proteins that are expressed during development that we don't normally see. And then antigens that are just overly expressed in certain particular tumors, right? We do have a bunch of different tumors that we know about that are going to express particular antigens themselves. And the peptides are mostly going to be expressed in MHC class 1 molecules. So we can see in these sort of diagrams, this diagram from the book, this diagram from a, uh, from a review paper. So the tumor cell themselves could start to express mutant proteins on the surface right, in context of MHC class 1 molecules so that CD8 positive T cells could pick up 
on these mutant proteins. So these aren't the same self-peptide. These are now tumor peptides that will be expressed. A lot of times, it, not just a mutation, could be overexpression, if we're going to be able to overexpress proteins, because once this tumor cell has undergone the change, it could start to overexpress certain proteins, so the immune system may key on on those overexpressed proteins. And these could be similar to mutations. We could have post-translational modifications of proteins, and it's perhaps some of these post-translation modifications that the immune system is going to be able to pick up on. Right? right now, that's what people are looking at. What can we know about these proteins? How can we categorize these proteins? And are these proteins going to be specific for individual tumors themselves? So, we know that the normal cell on the surface of this class 1 MHC molecule are going to express self-peptides. So here are a couple of self-peptides being expressed by this normal cell. Some of the transformations that could take place, we could have this altered self-peptide. So, right, so instead of having these self-peptides, this is an altered self, so some sort of mutation is going to genera generate a new peptide. These are the TSTAs that are going to be expressed by the cell. We could have different inappropriate expression. Inappropriate expression here are the TATAs. So here is an oncofetal peptide that for some reason is now being expressed by the tumor cell. It is as if it has regressed right, to being an immature cell again, so it's going to start to express proteins that haven't been expressed, right, in the individual since development. So these are taking place, and we could get even overexpression of normal proteins. So that's basically what we're talking about over here, right, overexpression of normal proteins. So if we're going to get a bunch of normal proteins on the surface of the MHC, or in associated with MHC molecules, that appears also to be something that the immune system can pick up on. So we have all these things taking place at any one point in time, and we've started to even start to characterize some of these TSTAs. So here's a list of different sorts of tumors like melanomas and lymphomas, right, leukemias, of those classifications, the different type of antigen we were talking about, differentiational antigens, tumor-specific antigens, right? Here are some viral proteins. We'll talk about viruses in a second. So here are the antigens themselves. That's where the antigens come from. So these are transformed antigens that the immune system appears to be picking up on. Right? So as we get more of these tumor cells and we're able to isolate more and more of these antigens on the cell surface, we can start to build up right, sort of databases of these peptides and these proteins. And that's what we're using to look at and try to get to the bottom of what makes one of these transformed antigens themselves. So we have a bunch of different ways in which we know proteins can be transformed. Well, the proteins well, I guess it's the cells being transformed and the effects of the transformation of these cells. So we can know a little bit about the mechanism of how a lot of these tumors or the tumor antigens themselves are going to be expressed. So some of these antigens are going to be chemically or physically induced, right, in terms of the TSTAs. So a lot of these things lack common TSTAs. All tumors are different and they're going to be distinct. So that my 
right? My lung cancer, God forbid a million times, is a lot different than your lung cancer, once again, right? So, if we were able to take lung cancer from every individual and compare them to lung cancers from every other individual, right? that was what was thought a long time ago. In the, in the 1960s or the 1970s, that's what people started to do. They started to take, let's say, let's just continue with lung cancer. They started to take right, lung tumors and they started to isolate proteins. They started to solubilize the cells. They started to look for cell surface proteins. They started to look for similarities in cell surface proteins. And when they started to compare these proteins and they started to compare these altered proteins that they were finding or all the proteins they were finding on the cell surface, what they came to find out was it's going to be a lot harder to do because they could never find any sort of common characteristic or common players of these proteins or peptides from individuals themselves. It was as if every individual's lung cancer were their own lung cancers. And that would be expected, right? We're all made up differently. We all have a different genotype. We all, right? we all have a, a, a different sort of, of DNA involved. Right? And even when they looked at siblings that were close to one another, they couldn't find common characteristics in these antigens themselves. So that is what has made sort of treatment. Right? Diagnosis is pretty, has advanced, right? A, lo uh, a long way since those days. But treatment, even though treatment, even though right, when you look at the newspaper, at least every year, right, the National Cancer Institute is going to release their yearly report, and right, cancer deaths are getting lower and lower and lower because cancer, de because cancer detection and cancer treatment is getting better and better and better. Right, even though that's taking place, we still not we still don't have a good handle on right, what are these antigens and how are these antigens participating and how are they going to be different between individuals themselves. But we have some experimental systems right, and these chemically or physically induced tumor antigens is one of the experimental systems we're going to use. So these tumor antigens could be activation by repressed genes, genes that haven't been right, expressed in a while selection of pre-existing clones themselves, so there's some sort of, uh, of damage that's taking place in individual cells themselves. And we have a pretty good feeling for how we can experimentally induce mutations, right? That's what the EPA is all about. That's why certain chemicals, right, after much study, have been barred from use. Because they are going to be cancer promoters. MCA, methylcholanthrene, is a potent tumor inducer. It's a chemical carcinogen. It was one of the first ones that was banned by the Environmental Protection Agency. MCA was very big, right? It's a chemical that was very big in the dry cleaning industry. It was used extensively in the dry cleaning industry. And they found that a lot of MCA started to build up in lakes and rivers. And once they took MCA and they started doing experiments with it in rodents and mice, they found it to be a potent 
chemical carcinogen, right? So we have a whole list of carcinogens that have been banned. They're out of our food supply, they're out of our water supply, right? Every month or so, there's always some sort of, right? Again, story in the newspaper, story on the news about certain chemicals that, right, that these regulatory agencies want to ban, and they're always going to put down somebody who is going to be an expert in why these chemicals should be banned. And they're always going to put on somebody from the industry from which these, these chemicals are going to be banned. And they're going to come in with their own data, right, about how, no, we shouldn't ban this, right, we can't ban this. Right? When MCA was banned, it took many, many years for the dry cleaning industry, right, to be able to find a better, and again, I'm not up on my dry cleaning, so I don't know why MCA was such a good agent as a cleaning agent in the dry cleaning industry. Right? But that's the nature of dry cleaning, right? You bring your clothes in and they don't put it in a washing machine. They use whatever it is they use. They use chemical means to be able to clean your clothes, right? So your clothes don't shrink. Your clothes don't get uh, any color changes or anything, right? So it took a long time for the dry cleaning industry to replace chemicals like MCA. So a long time, clothes weren't as clean as they were before MCA was present. But this is such a potent chemical carcinogen that it was one of the first ones that was banned. Okay. So we have chemically and these other induced tumor TSTAs. We also have certain viruses that can transform cells themselves. So when cells become infected with certain viruses, they, one of the things in which the cells do is they transform the cell into a malignant cell. Some people feel that the reason that these viruses are transforming these cells into malignant cells is so that they can have more cells to infect. Right? The virus is actually producing cells that it, can, that it can infect more and therefore carry out more of its life cycle. Right? So, from these virally induced antigens, we have a whole bunch of common uh, antigens themselves. So things like the viral envelope antigen or certain coded non-viral antigens, right? So these viral envelopes could be expressed on the surface of the cell, right? As that virus is going to be able to mature and break through the cell as we've seen with other viruses. So these viruses are going to have these different sort of viral envelope genes expressed on the surface of the cell. So the immune system is going to be able to pick up on those specific antigens themselves. So we have all this sort of information taking place. When it comes to right, developmental an, uh, antigens themselves, right, some oncodevelopmental or oncofetal antigens themselves, and these are the proteins that are only expressed on developing cells. So things like carcioembryonic antigen, or CFA, or CEA, and things like alpha fetal protein. Right? These are going to be normally expressed during embryonic or fetal development, and they're going to be elevated on tumor cells. So things like alpha fetal protein. We don't have alpha fetal protein anymore. Alpha fetal protein is a very early molecule that's used for oxygen transport. It comes online before hemoglobin itself. 
Right now, we're all relying on hemoglobin to transport oxygen and get rid of carbon dioxide. In the developing fetus, another protein is there because getting oxygen into the tissue spaces is so important that alpha-fetal protein is also expressed. If alpha-fetal protein is expressed in an adult, the immune system picks up on that, right? Because that's a pretty good clue that that cell has transformed. It's also a bad screen, right? Screening for alpha-fetal protein or even CAA is a bad screen because smoking can cause an increase. Does that mean right, that as you're smoking, you, this might be a way that people are detecting transformed cells already? Is that what makes it a bad screen? Or is it just that damage caused by smoking right, is affecting the cell so they're starting to put these particular antigens on the surface again? Either way, Right, it's a pretty bad screen for tumor cells because right, if they make the screen and if someone's smoking, you can't tell if it's because they're smoking or because they have a tumor. And a lot of these studies, right, following long-term right, follow-up, patients don't develop a tumor, but they're still smoking and their tests are still positive. Right? So a lot of these things are going to be able to take place. In terms of spontaneous tumors, and again, these are the ones that we are most most wanting to detect because right? in general most tumors are going to develop spontaneously right? Ex, you know, except with smoking and carcinogens and bad water and bad air yes that's not so much spontaneous but the development in an individual's body could be considered to be spontaneous if there are no other sort of factors that are taking places right? spontaneous tumors are sort of hard to detect bless you, by the immune system and by us, because the antigens themselves are usually weakly immunogenic. Right? And that would, this is the most important test that we would want to have, right? A spontaneous tumor, just a random mutation that's going to be able to be generated, right? So trying to find those antigens, we're having trouble finding those antigens themselves. Right? So you have the ability of the tumor cells to fight back. So tumor cells can actually escape or use different methods to escape from immunosurveillance. So it's as if this cell, once it transformed, it has turned into an, a different sort of organism itself, a different entity. Because now it's going to do everything in it, well, again, I'm putting human-like characteristics, but it appears right, that it's, gonna, it's going to do a lot of cell biological changes to try to evade the immune system, right, to get away from the immune system. So, the fact that it's weakly antigenic is one of the things that's going to be able to take place. Right? It's, it's hard for the immune system to recognize self from altered self. Things like antigenic modulation. The other day when we were talking about parasites, and as the parasites were changing those cell surface proteins on its, on its surface, the same thing can happen. Right? So tumor cells can either change or shed antigens on the cell surface, so that if T cells have recognized those altered cell peptides, or perhaps antibodies have been generated against these altered cell peptides or proteins, the tumor cell itself is going to be able to modulate or shed those antigens themselves. 
Sometimes the tumor is going to be able to metastasize right, into those immune privileged sites that we talked about before, places where the immune system can't really get at a tumor. So this is one of the ways in which the tumor is going to invade, uh, evade the immune system. Once a tumor gets to a, 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 a certain size, right, where we get a, a critical tumor mass, after that point, if it has evaded the immune system long enough for that to take place, then it doesn't matter. Right? The tumor is going to be so big, and the immune system can't keep up with the ability of the tumor to grow and for the immune system to destroy that growing tumor. So once it gets to a certain size, it doesn't matter anymore. Another thing that they're going to do is they're going to release blocking factors. So certain soluble TATAs will be released, right, form into an immune complex. This is sort of like a smoke screen. It's going to tie up antibodies, tie up T cells by these immune complexes between soluble TATAs and antibodies and or cells of the immune system. The other thing a tumor cell is going to do, it's going to release cytokines that are going to be able to suppress the immune system. One of the major cytokines that tumor cells release is TGF-beta. We talked a little bit about TGF-beta as a cytokine, and we said that TGF-beta was one of the, the anti-inflammatory cytokines. It was a major cytokine to downregulate the immune system. And so all these things these tumors are doing are right, as if right, they've become new sort of organisms and new sort of ways to be able to come in and take place. Right? They're going to reduce class 1 MHC molecules on tumor cells themselves. It's going to try to downregulate the ability of those MHC molecules to express those altered self-peptides. Again, right, we have a defense against that. We know that NK cells or CD8-positive T cells are going to be able to come in and combat that. Sometimes that reduction can be in complete loss of MHC class 1 molecules. Right, so they're going to try to get away from those cytotoxic T lymphocytes and take their chances with the NK cells. And we can also, oh, there's direct suppression by the tumor, right? Release of factors that inhibit the tumor cell itself, like TGF-beta. So we have all these different sort of anti-immune system techniques that these tumor cells are going to be able to use, right? To be able to get away from tumor surveillance or the immune system, right? Going to be able to not recognize themselves. So we can look at the down regulation right, of the MHC molecules themselves. Right? So if the tumor cell has high class MHC1 molecules, the CTL cells will be able to destroy them. If they modulate right, whatever the tumor antigens are so that they're not going to be expressed so much on the cell surface, they'll get killed later. And a way to escape is to get a low number of MHC class 1 molecules. So here is a prosthetic carcinoma. And the brown stain is on infiltrating lymphocytes and tissues, the stromal cells themselves. But the tumor, which is this blue, is hardly stained at all for MHC class 1 molecules. So they're down-regulating MHC class 1 molecules to get away from the CTL cells themselves. They don't want that to be able to take place. Another thing that can take place 
in terms of our investigation of the immune system is to use the immune system to be able to destroy cancer cells. Immunotherapy. One of the ways that we can use the immune system to be able to destroy cancer cells, right? If we took some sort of nonspecific immune stimulation, right? We just want to ramp up the immune system. Right? Before when we were talking about transplantation, what we were trying to do was to down-regulate the immune system. We want to turn off the ability of the immune system to be able to recognize non-self tissues. We wanted the immune system not to be able to respond to the graft. On the other hand, if it's tumors, and if tumors are pretty good at breaking past immune surveillance, Maybe we can inject agents that stimulate the, non, that stimulate the immune system non-specifically itself. So people have used BCG, right? That mycobacterium, right? That, that piece of the tuberculoid organism itself. So we can inject that to stimulate macrophages non-specifically. We could add, right, low-dose anti-CD3. Or we could add antibodies to the T-cell receptor to be able to stimulate T-cells non-specifically. Again, we're looking for ways to defeat the tumor cell itself. If we don't do this, the patient's going to die. So yes, you could argue, well, if you're ramping up the immune system, then you could be ramping up the potential for an autoimmune response. You're right. But our risk-benefit ratio there, or our trade-off, is going to be, right, I would rather live with an autoimmune disease than be dead from a tumor. So that's one of the things that you have to take into consideration. The other thing that we can do, and people have been doing, is called active immunization. We're going to inject killed or irradiated tumor cells to induce specific antibodies, right? As if we're going to vaccinate against that person's own immune cells. So that's something that can take place. Again, the, great, the holy grail of immunotherapy is to sort of figure out what it is about, let's say again, using our example, a lung cancer that can be used in multiple patients. Can we find the similarity right, in antigens or whatever sort of immune system surveillance agent is out there to stimulate that particular one to treat anybody's lung cancer or anybody's kidney cancer or anybody's leukemia. Right? Rather than looking at individual patients and trying to tailor make individual therapies, is there something that we can look at? So if we're going to do active immunization, if we had this common characteristic, Right, then we could have all sorts of different antigens that we could just inject into patients who have these individual types of cancers. That doesn't seem to be working because of individual differences in genetics. We could try cytokine therapies. We could inject interferon gamma to try to stimulate the immune system. We, could, we can inject tumor necrosis factor. TNF-beta, tumor necrosis factor, we've talked about before, a factor that's able to destroy tumor cells. So people have used a lot of TNF 
as a sort of potential therapy. But again, there, there are other activities of TNF that we don't want to stimulate. We just want to stimulate the ability of TNF to destroy tumors, not be pro-inflammatory, right? Not raise fevers, not do any other sort of thing. So that's a problem. And we talked a little bit when we talked about monoclonal antibodies. We talked about monoclonal antibodies to be able to be used as effective anti-cancer therapies themselves. So, this doesn't come out so well, but you can see we have a lot of different monoclonal antibodies, a lot of different targets of those, and a lot of different sort of diseases. A lot of these are blood tumors that we're going to be able to use these different therapies on. Another therapy that people have been working on is called adaptive cell therapy. And in adaptive cell therapy, we're going to transfer cultured immune cells that have anti-tumor reactivity into a tumor-bearing host. Right? So, the first type are called lymphokine-activated killer cells, or LAC cells. So what we're going to do is we're going to take blood from a patient, right, from a cancer patient, and we're going to isolate the T cells. It's pretty easy to do. We've got a lot of different techniques to isolate T cells from whole blood. And what we're going to, the, the idea here is that some of those T cells, some of those T cells in this sample have come into contact with the tumor and have recognized the tumor and are actively destroying the tumor inside the body someplace. So we're going to take all those lymphocytes, we're going to culture them outside in vitro with high concentrations of interleukin-2, and we're just going to explode that population of lymphocytes. Right? So we're going to take all those lymphocytes that we're culturing with interleukin-2, we're going to inject them back into the patient so that we've increased the proportion of those lymphocytes that are able to be able to interact with the tumor itself, and now they're going to go back in and start reacting with and destroying the tumor itself. Once we look at the cellular components of these LAC cells, we can see that these are predominantly derived from NK cells. This has been taken one step further in terms of generating tumor-infiltrating lymphocytes, or TIL cells, and here, as a patient is undergoing surgery to remove a tumor, we're going to take that tumor that has been removed. There will be T-cells in association with that tumor, right? because hopefully there are T-cells or other cells that are interacting with that tumor. We're going to do the same thing. Only now, those cells that we are going to be cultivating in vitro with our high concentrations of interleukin-2, we know are specifically right? interacting with that tumor cell. So those should give us a better sort of cell components to act as destroyer of those tumor cells. And these also include activated NK cells and a lot of CTL cells themselves. Okay, sorry, one minute over. We're done. Hey, we're having a test a week from today. Did I tell you?